Hello and thanks for listening to our podcast episode of Institutional Insights. Today I'm delighted to welcome Stefan Henschel, Head of Treasury and Pension Asset Management at Evonik, who worked with us to de-risk Evonik's US and UK pension schemes, marking our second global transaction announced earlier this year. We're also joined with John Towner, Head of New Business at LGRI, who has recently taken on additional responsibilities for origination of new business on a global basis. Today we'll be discussing Evonik's global transaction in a bit more detail and through our conversation hope to provide some useful insights into how a sponsor can approach a global transaction. So thanks very much both for taking the time out today to talk to us. Let's start with some introductions to give listeners a bit of an insight into your day-to-day role. So if we start with Stefan and if you could just give us a brief introduction that would be great. Yeah, hello. My name is Stefan Henschel. I'm heading uh, Treasury and Pension Asset Management of Evonik Industries of a global basis. I'm with the company for almost 13 years. We oversee uh, 10.5 billion pension assets and have quite a diversified portfolio, which includes uh, infrastructure, private equity, real estates and other private markets. Uh, I was a portfolio manager for institutional clients uh, with a German private bank before uh, my role within Evonik. Thanks, Stefan. And over to you, John, for a quick introduction. Thanks, Paige. Hello, my name is John Towner and I head up the new business team at Legal & General in London. I've been at Legal & General seven years and have always worked in the buying and buyout business. It's been a tremendous few years for the, the buying and buyout market in the UK and, and globally. There's been a tremendous amount of growth. We are a leader in these markets. Uh, in the UK, we're responsible for a million people's pensions and uh, have an annuity portfolio that's over 85 billion pounds in size. The team that I'm responsible for is we price all of the new business that we quote on, all of the buy-in and buy-out transactions. Part of that work, we work with the pension schemes and the pension plans directly and their advisors to bespoke the transaction to to meet their particular needs. And then ultimately, we are responsible for taking these transactions through governance here at Legal in General and getting them approved if we are selected as uh, as as the insurer by the scheme. So that that's what our team does. I, you know, as Paige said, I also have global responsibility and have been working very closely with our colleagues in the U.S., because we're finding that more and more companies, uh, and particularly multinational companies, are looking at their their pension schemes across geographies and markets and want to work to de-risk them on a a joined-up basis. Fantastic. Thanks, John. So given Evonik's global presence, they obviously have a, a number of different defined benefit pension schemes located across the globe. Stefan, can you just briefly describe a bit more about these different schemes, the size and where they're located? 
Yes, uh, our DBs are mostly in Germany, so we are very German-focused uh, on this side. We are an international company, but the DBs are mostly in Germany. We have a highly regulated insurance like Pensionskasse in Germany, which needs a lot of management attention, especially because of uh, high guaranteed yields. This pension pot is roughly 5.7 billion of size and only 1 billion uh, are outside Germany. In terms of DBOs, uh, they are mostly in US and UK and US and UK is half-half uh, if you have a closer look to that. Thanks, Stefan. It's quite a huge difference, I suppose, between your German pension schemes and your international schemes within the, the UK and US. And if we focus a bit more on the, the UK and US ones, given the, the recent transactions that you've done, could you talk us through the long-term objectives for those schemes and, and the decision-making process in terms of agreeing what that objective is for, for either of those schemes? Our long-term objective is de-risking um, on a global basis. So we would like to de-risk international plans, but also German plans. But due to the fact that Germany is uh, that large in comparison to US and UK, we have uh, with buy-in and buy-out solution an ideal instrument to de-risk further. And I think what is different uh, in UK and US to Germany, there are already established markets uh, for that kind of transaction. I think that's the main uh, focus. And especially in UK, uh, we had the luxury of a very good funding status. So for us, it was obvious to do a transaction in UK. And in US, we uh, had partly buyout in mind to de-risk further. And can you talk through, I suppose, some of the main reasons for targeting buyout from a corporate perspective and, and why that was important also from a trustee perspective in the UK? Yeah, well, when, when you uh, got internal uh, in that kind of companies like ours, the ult ultimate target is always uh, a buyout due to the fact that we are a chemical company, it's our main business, and we are not a sole asset manager. So uh, everyone in the board is saying, okay, let's focus uh, on our, uh, our main issues, and that's uh, chemical products. And with a buyout, you have the chance to shorten the balance sheet with losing assets on one hand, but also losing uh, DBOs on the other hand. So, so you shorten your balance sheet and uh, you get rid of your longevity and inflation risks, which are uh, yeah, always a moving target uh, in your balance sheet. Uh, the question for a company is always, uh, what is the price for the de-risking you get? And you have asked yourself, is the company more or less, wants the company uh, to de-risk further? And for the trustees' uh, perspective, the main focus is to have a reliable partner which sits uh, ideally in the um, regulatory framework of the UK. That is uh, one thing you have to, to look for. Uh, due to the fact that our company only has small operations in UK, we were keen to do a larger transaction in UK first and not in US. And as part of the decision-making process in terms of deciding which insurer to go with, was it a key consideration both from the corporate and the trustee perspective to look for an insurer that had a brand recognition, I suppose, that the members were aware of? Was that ever discussed before approaching the market? Yes, of course. That, that was a very interesting topic. So we want to have more or less a reliable uh, known 
partner and we as company had already some experiences through um, special mandates uh, we had already with legal and general and i think for the uk trustees uh, legal and general is is a, a huge brand name in uk they were familiar with the name and uh, i think they felt comfortable they 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 didn't want to go with any of the the newer ones which were p- probably backed by private equity or something like that and and just going back to some of the drivers that you discussed in terms of looking at doing a buy-in or a buy-out with an insurer. John, are you seeing any other trends or any other drivers in the markets in terms of why sponsors and trustees are looking for these de-risking solutions? Stefan has definitely articulated you know, what we hear other companies say as well. I mean, pensions, they are a complex combination of market risks like interest rates and inflation and demographic risks like longevity and you know as Stefan said I mean they're not core to most companies businesses and his board wants to focus on their business not necessarily the you know running pension schemes and that that's actually what we do we're in the business of providing people's pensions and we hear very similar points of view from those who run pension schemes, if it's trustees in the UK or in-house pensions teams in other countries. And I think there's a real recognition that as defined benefit pension schemes get to, if you call it their end game or their final state, that what needs to be done from the management of the pension scheme or the plan's perspective is fundamentally different from the way that these these schemes and plans had been run historically. And at that end game, it's about sourcing the investments that will generate cash flows that match off precisely against the liabilities. It's about hedging uh, risks and running, you know, very tight collateral programs around them. It's about either hedging or provisioning for longevity risks, the risk that people live longer and and pensions will have to be paid for longer than expected. And it's about managing expenses. And, you know, in short, that's kind of what we do in in an insurance company to pay all the pensions that we pay. And it's it's really for that reason that I think you know, a lot of trustees and in-house pensions teams are looking to insurance for the end game or for the final state of their pension scheme. Thanks, John. Now, if we, I suppose, look at the steps before coming to, to market, and if we go back, say, 10 years, a lot of pension schemes would have been focused heavily on bridging or reducing that deficit that we saw and, and have been working very closely with their asset managers and their advisors. And over, I suppose, the last five years and, and three in particular, we've seen a lot of schemes reduce that that deficit and therefore looking at, at what next and what their end game looks like. I think what would be really interesting for our audience, Stefan, is just actually to talk about a few of the steps that you took before approaching the market. What did you need to do before you could do that transaction and, and tick it off as such? I think for, for our perspective, it was very important. That's 
the trustees and the company had a clear alignment of interest to de-risk the UK plans uh, for many years, uh, starting uh, with going to a more passive approach, uh, not to have a very complicated asset management and implementing an LDI hedging um, in terms of rates, but also hedging uh, inflation. And we did some uh, cash flow matching that we have more or less our uh, active assets uh, linked to the passive side that there's not that much volatility. And as I said before, we had the luxury to do so because of our solid funding status. So for all people together, sitting together on the table, it was more or less obvious to end up with a buy-in. Uh, it is the next consequent step. And for the company, um, as I said before, balance sheet volatility is key. And if you have more or less uh, reached the step that you have a global policy, you uh, have the volatility reduced to nearly zero. And when you were going through these decisions on the kind of the asset mix that you were taking and the strategy that you were onboarding, was a part of that conversation discussed around the end game and how that would look when you were to transfer to an insurer? Yes, yeah, so we had a lot of discussions and, and found that more or less a, a plain vanilla asset allocation, which is uh, transactable, so not too complex, uh, some, some equity to get a little bit uh, higher funding status. But uh, I think the fixed income uh, space was uh, the part we were mostly in. So if we kind of now leap forward to the, the transactions that you did last year. So you entered into a $93 million lift out for a section of your US scheme, which was then shortly followed by a, a £550 million buy-in for Evonics UK pension schemes. So the US transaction was a, a competitively run process where you approached it slightly differently with the UK and decided to work with LNG on a sole insurer basis. Would you be able to delve into a bit more detail on why you decided to, to approach the UK transaction uh, on this sole insurer basis? So the problem was that we had uh, some time pressure uh, on the transaction because we saw a window of opportunities on both sides, on the trustee side and on the company side in terms of the market and parameters. The company uh, gave for the transaction something like a budget, which were only valid in 2020. So we were a little bit uh, time constrained. Our advisor, LCP, gave the trustees and the company a lot of confidence that we reached a good pricing point, even it was a sole uh, transaction. And they built some models and showed us comparable transactions. So we were uh, also lucky to hedge the, the equity risk out between signing and closing. Uh, that was another uh, interesting element uh, we found out to, to have more or less a safe and uh, good transaction. And I think regarding the provider, uh, you have to also look, uh, have a closer look to softer factors. As we said before, brand uh, is key. And we speak today with legal and general. And for us, legal and general was some of the obvious partners. I think pricing is key, as I said before, but there are some uh, sub factors on top of pricing also. And would you say early engagement with an insurer helped you kind of get to that point a lot quicker 
last year when you did decide to approach the market? Yes, it, it helped a lot. Uh, and I think it was key to get some insights how the insurer works and, and to understand their modeling and to see where are sensitive pricing points that we uh, could also model more or less a shadow portfolio to get a deeper understanding where the real price could be. And as part of the transaction, um, I understand that for, so that the UK had four schemes and that they needed to be merged together before the transaction took place. John, I, I know this isn't a usual step within a, a transaction, and I, I wondered if you could touch upon what was needed to be in place to ensure that that was carried out efficiently and didn't cause any delays or setbacks to the project timetable. There was sort of this slightly un, unusual step be, before the transaction where where a number of schemes were merged, and it's, it's not a, a, a small undertaking. There's lots of legal work that that needs to be done and a lot of operational coordination as well and you've really got to get all of the trustees their advisor the company everybody working and uh, lined up and coordinating very well and for us I, i think i mean our starting point was first of all avonic is a very long-standing relationship. VARs, Elgem have supported them, particularly the UK scheme, for for many number of years. So from a relationship perspective, this was something that you know we wholeheartedly wanted to support and make happen. The other thing, I think it's a point that Stefan made, is that w- within the project, there was a very good alignment between the trustees and the company that allowed that good coordination that was required from legal advisors to the you know LCP the consultant and and the other thing i think that really made all of this happen and come together in the way that it, the goal was clear we needed to transact and the timeline was clear and there was no ambiguity in 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 that respect and as a result everything flowed from there So, Stefan, from your perspective, what were the key elements that made the transaction a success? I think the key part was obviously the collaboration of the different parties involved. The relationship and openness of the trustees uh, to do a transaction was key. The strong communications uh, of all parties was a contributor to the success. Uh, I think without the help and planning of the trustees, the transaction would have been uh, very difficult to achieve. Uh, I think their proactiveness, experience and collaborative nature of the trustee board helped to drive the project from start to end in a very uh, tight uh, time frame. So a key aspect of, of any transaction or project of this nature is coordination and, and having everyone on the same page and open dialogue and and those calls were, were taking place to ensure that the transaction took place and I believe if I'm correct it was exactly three months from from starting that initial conversation to transacting which was a very efficient time given given all the different pieces that had to come together. The success really does come down to collaboration and, and working together as a team to get the desired outcome for all, all parties involved. So a, a real team effort indeed. We spoke earlier about approaching this transaction on a sole insurer basis 
and we're seeing quite a step up in demand for schemes in partnering with an insurer on a sole insurer basis to get their transaction done. Do you have any advice for our listeners if they consider a sole insurer process or anything they should be aware of? Yeah, I think the the trustees uh, should have a mandate also from the company that, that everything is prepared uh, within hours to transact. I think you have to to transact uh, if if the pricing is right, and I think especially a good legal preparation is necessary. Uh, on one hand, you have to have a proper advisor that gives you insights, parameters, and market models to to get a feeling for the sensitivity. I think first is preparation. Uh, legally that everyone everything is in place and that you have talked uh, about uh, critical points and the other part is the market is issue that uh, you can more or less hit a price target uh, you have in mind and i think regarding the price target you should should be ambitious but realistic uh, to the price target but when you when you hit it uh, you should should get it and it is uh, not not good to have uh, some uh, extra goes from from other parties uh, you should go on the day uh, when the time is right thanks stefan and and from a, an insurer's perspective maybe you can touch upon that john in terms of what are some of the benefits of what of doing a a sole insurer process compared to a competitively run one and maybe touch upon some of the types of transactions which would really benefit from this type of process? Yeah, I mean, if a pension scheme, if a sponsoring company is giving us the opportunity to hit a target price and they, they want to do business with us and it's just that we have to work to get to a particular price, then that is something you will have our complete focus and we will be monitoring the markets. We will be looking for investments. We will be working with our reinsurance partners to do everything that we possibly can do to make that transaction happen because we've been given this opportunity to do that. I also think that it makes a lot of sense when timelines are tight the market is busy and you're wanting to get an insurer's attention and have them work on it. And I think if a pension scheme wants to do business with somebody like legal in general, then for for reasons of, I don't know, maybe they have a a buy-in with us already and they want all their members to, to have ultimately to have policies with the same insurer, then it's really about okay you get the provider that you want and you set the price and it's incumbent upon us to meet that price and it does differ from traditionally run processes where you know what 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 will typically happen is there will be a date that's chosen and a few insurers will provide quotes and then what the pension scheme does is it picks the best quote on that particular day uh, so they take that price whereas this approach, the sole insurer basis approach, is really the the pension scheme is being the price setter, and they set the price, and then it's on us to to meet it. Thanks, John. Now, before we end, I think what would be a useful reflection is if Stephanie, you've got any lessons learned from the process that you could share with other companies like Ivonic who are managing multiple DB schemes in different countries, or for those that are, are trustees for a UK scheme that have a 
global sponsor. I think you have to be prepared for de-risking if you want uh, to de-risk, but not for every price. You have to be patient and uh, you have to do proper preparations and then you have to focus uh, on your journey. And, and I want to say without a good relationship between trustees and the company, that kind of win-win for both sides uh, is not possible. So there are some key aspects here and I would say relationship, trustees, company and so also do a proper and good preparation and have the, the right advisors. Thanks, Stefan. And John, are there any tips you can provide for sponsors who are looking at approaching a global de-risking program similar to what Ivonic did across the UK and the US? Similar to to Stefan, I, I think maybe think about things. Everything today is maybe approached, you know, in terms of geographic silos. But the point I think we'd make, and I think what this transaction demonstrates is that there there are similarities across geographies and markets. There are companies, and from the company's perspective, they are looking at their pension exposures holistically and not within silos. And I would say, speak to your advisor, speak to insurers about whether it would be efficient to think about de-risking your, your pension plans globally on a holistic basis. And from the insurer's perspective, the two key inputs in the pricing that we provide are the investments that we're able to source and, and the reinsurance that we use to, to back these transactions. And both of those are global. I, I think insurers increasingly are making investments globally. The, reinsurers sit all over the world and there are efficiencies in looking at buy-in and buy-out transactions across markets. Thanks John. So that's unfortunately all we have time for today but thank you both so much for taking the time out to talk to us. It's really good and useful insights in terms of how the transaction was approached both on a, a global basis and some of the key considerations from a corporate perspective as well as a, an insurer perspective. So thank you both again. Don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast via Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks for listening and goodbye.